Shut up and sit down. everyone um i i forgot what i was doing okay um <laughs> you ever have one of those days i have one of those days where my brain is just blah. um i see you on the phone jilly so if blog talk's hanging up on you maybe it has settled down now um i see two phone numbers i believe one is boo um Uh, fuck me. Okay, um, that was not an invitation. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought so, Boo. We talked before. We had a, we had a podcast one night when I was bored, and I was by myself, and Boo was here. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I made beef barley soup for dinner, and um, mm-hmm. I mean, I literally like two minutes ago put the bowl in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So, I, mean, I just finished eating, and I haven't had time to get the meat out of my teeth yet. <laughs> so, I have the toothpick. At some point, when it's when you're talking, I will be muting and dealing with meat in my teeth because that's what happens when you have beef; it gets in your teeth. <laughs> I had steak this evening for dinner and shrimp. I had shrimp that was as long as my finger. I mean, it was amazing. It was so good. Um, <sighs> I I came into the chat room to a dick parade. Did you see? I there was you a didn't see and you I did scroll up. Uh, oh, I did. I saw it. Definitely, I figured because I saw your no contact post, and <laughs> I I knew. Exactly what was going on in the chat room. Um, <laughs> I was. Back, I want. I came into the chat room. Nobody else was in there. This is ass in a drive-by cock parade. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, I had a very uh, uh, relaxing day where I did nothing because I couldn't concentrate. So, actually, I read um, several of my Harry. Potter works in progress because I'm trying to avoid Stargate until um, Nano starts and I can't work on my Quantum Bang either so you know it's just like icky it's just like you got to find something else to do yeah and also my train's not full on the township yet so I'm kind of yeah. <laughs> I'm trying that to fill up a train Stupid popcorn, three fucking hours. It didn't take three fucking hours to make popcorn. I'm just saying. Anyways, ever, <laughs> ever, popcorn should cook a lot faster than it does in this stupid game. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the other day, I had one of those four car trains, and it wanted. I see ten wheat, and I'm like, yeah, I got that. It wanted like ten wheat on every car. I'm like, right? You assholes! Bullshit. You assholes! 
Okay, I did get some questions in the writer's table because I put up a post. Okay, awesome. Awesome. To preemptively get some questions. Shall we go straight to the queries? Yes. Let's do that. My tablet is in the other room, which is probably a good thing. Otherwise, I would be shearing sheep right now. Um, (laughs) Okay. Uh, The first question. Oh, um, you know how, wait, before we get there. Okay. um, I had installed Township on on my Kindle 7, but... The Kindle Seven is really slow, so it, it it doesn't play well, and so um, you know how you know how we had discussed like my mom was going to farm boss me, right? Well, I told her uh-huh. I just didn't want to play on this Kindle Seven because it was it's too fucking slow and it was really annoying the shit out of me. This woman went on Amazon and bought me a Kindle Ten. It'll be here on Monday. So she could farm boss you? Yes. I. Uh. I can't say I'm actually all that surprised. My cows need to be milked too, boo. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate when they have to be milked, though. Ooh, it, is, it is deeply unfortunate. But I don't want to leave them. All. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the to the Kindle 10 when it gets here. Um, but she, uh, I, I, I got the notification on my phone saying that my package is shipped. And I'm like, what package? I haven't got a package. And so she's over there sitting, and she's looking all smug and shit. And I look at it, and I'm like, Mama, did you? And she says, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Like, so that I you can, so that you. so she can farm boss you. She wants you in her co-op that bad. <laughs> yeah. Now I play on um, Windows. Uh, so if any of you guys play on Windows, um, my uh, I'm Area Fifty One. Windows is a completely separate platform from iOS. iOS and Android are the same. Game basically. Yeah, if if you're mobile, Windows and Windows one game and computer is another. So, well, actually, Windows Phone plays with Windows computer. Oh, does it? So yeah. I guess it's so Android that play on one platform. I, iOS and Android are on. Which which yeah. So iOS and Android. So Boo, you can play with me. Here, I will. I will. I sent it to Kira the other day. I will send you my game code, Boo, and you fr- you can friend me. I w- I'm Area 52 because I was being supportive of Kira, but then we discovered we were on the same freaking platform. So. <sighs> did you did you already friend me? She said she did. Oh, she has it. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know how to all last in my mom's co-op because she's a little crazy, so I might end up in your guys' co-op anyway. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> Nuff Township. Um, uh, what's the first question? Um, the first question um, is from – oh, actually, I won't say who it's from because people, people aren't in the chat room, and I don't know if they want me to give their name or not. Uh, is there, are there any discipline tricks from being a new writer or that you use now to help you sit and write and not get distracted? It's her biggest problem because uh, she knows where she wants the stories to go, but she gets distracted easily. Um. I wear headphones. I plan my, I have different playlists for different writing moods. I have a sexy playlist and um, I have a playlist that I only play when I'm um, uh, writing Stargate. Uh, It is, in fact, I play it, 
I played it so often when I was um, uh, writing um, what what might have been anti that bind that when I hear Josh Groban, I am immediately in the mood to write Stargate. Um, and my oh, husband, wow. when when he hears Josh Groban, he's like, "God damn it, are you writing Stargate again?" <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Yes, honey. I will go down. I, I will go down with that ship. <laughs> so, um, if you're inclined um, towards association like that, sound association, um, uh oh, she got a KitchenAid. You'll love it. There, there is honestly nothing better in the world than a KitchenAid stand mixer. It is amazing, a KitchenAid. Great, fantastic. You got so many attachments. You can get an ice cream attachment, a pasta attachment. It's just great. It's awesome. You can do, you can do anything black. with it. Mine black, is I like a mulberry color. color. Really? Yeah, it's like I a really black deep and purple. Mine's um, but, called the Terminator. But I got the mulberry because it was a limited. It was a, a discontinued color. Um, I really wanted a different color, but the color I wanted was ninety dollars more. Oh well, yeah. And I'm not yeah. that I'm not that attached to the color. So I got the five quart stand mixer um, mm-hmm. with the metal bowl, like the one she's picturing here. I got it for two hundred twenty nine dollars, and I got the mulberry, wow. which wow. like literally nobody wanted. I'm like, I'll take it. Yep. Give me mulberry. It's fine. <laughs> you could do other things with the meat grinder besides grind meat. I'm sure. Look on YouTube. <laughs> But anyway, um, if you Thank were the you kind of person sausage, who, who associates, um, you can do vegan sausage, um, associates um, sound <laughs> with activity. Jesus. Oh, good Lord. Um, I can't say that because um, it might alienate my male audience. And I've got a big one. Audience, that is. Um, and I, I need their advertising dollars. Pennies, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, now I want to call CPS. <laughs> you crazy person. <laughs> but I imagine teenagers can be really annoying sometimes. Anyways, um, so if you associate sounds with activities, um, creating playlists that you just use for writing can be very helpful. Wearing headphones to avoid um, outside stimulation um, is very helpful. Even if you just listen like, to classical music, if you can't have words, a lot of writers can't write with music that has words. So don't be surprised if that happens to you. Um, your brain just kind of attaches itself to the words you're hearing, and it, would, might, it might be difficult to um, accomplish what you need to accomplish. Um, I listen to opera sometimes for that reason. Because I, I can't understand what yeah. the fuck they're saying. So, right, um, so it is distracting. Um, um, but also for it for but I have a whole playlist that's piano music because oh, I do too. sometimes the the words do get to my get on my nerves. Um, I especially love um, there's a um, a violinist I listen to. It's awesome. His 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 name is also Josh. Um, fantastic. But you'll want to um, just kind of figure out what your brain um, is attracted to when you're in a creative mood. Um, and uh, tr- try to play this thing. Have a dedicated writing space. Don't write in bed. 
Well, okay. If your bedroom is your comfort zone and you don't have a sleep problem, if you have really good sleep hygiene, do whatever you want to. But if you have poor sleep hygiene like I do and you don't sleep well as a rule, the last thing you want to do is bring a mentally stimulating activity into your bed outside of sex. You also don't want to – and one of the reasons – it's not just mental stimulation, but you don't want to associate your bed with things that aren't sleep or sex. Right. If you have a problem sleeping. So if, cause you, your brain, if you're, if you spend more, if you have a hard time sleeping and you spend more time writing in bed than you do sleeping in bed, your brain will associate the bed with writing. And so when you get in bed, the creative part of your brain is going to start to spin up. Right. So if you have a problem with that, do not write in bed. Don't read in bed. Don't play your phone in bed. Um, cause it's really helped me to stop doing that just because my mind spins. I'm a, I'm a high act, I'm a high activity speaker, a thinker. And it, I'll think about shit I did when I was 12, which is ridiculous. Worry about tests I took when I was 12. Last week I couldn't sleep and I thought to myself, did I really graduate high school? Where did they come back and tell me I didn't graduate high school? If I didn't graduate high school, does that make my college education invalid? No. <laughs> I know I, that. I already know the answer. I already know the answer to that. No. <laughs> I, I, I know that before. But it, it it just kind of spun around in my head, right? And then I had dreams where I, I kept appearing in places naked or with no shoes. I kept losing my shoes, too. And I don't take my shoes off in public. Ever. I mean, anything, we take a dire situation we take, take my shoes off in public, okay? And I would be in places and I would take my shoes off and then lose them in my bed. I'm like, oh, what? No, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Anyways, that's beside the point. What I was getting to is don't do things that will stimulate you beyond sex in your bed if you have problems sleeping. But um, a dedicated routing space is very helpful. Creating a schedule and carving yourself out time to write where you say, okay, this hour on Thursday I am writing or I'm researching. And only do those two things during the time that you carve out for that. Now, if you do it longer than the time you carved out, fine. If you don't have any other responsibilities, you you do you. But don't do anything else in that hour that you've carved out, but what you've carved out to do it. This will create a um, a work set in your brain. Like, okay, on Thursdays, I do this. And one of the ways you create habits is to make yourself sit down on a schedule and do these things. And writing every day um, is a very good habit to have. Um, whether you accomplish it or not, is is one thing, but to I strive for it. Do I always succeed? Nope. I haven't written a word today. <laughs> I read today, which I think is just as important as writing. So I carve out time to write um, to read too. I read new yeah. people. I, I read fandom. I read nonfiction. I read fiction. Um, I read writing manuals. So, yeah. So if those you approach are your writing, yeah. If you approach your writing time and you go. <clears throat> Um, I don't want to do this today. Um, that's that's fine, but to not make your not give yourself that time that you opt out of. Um, but if you have it in your day, like 
think it's I think it's Claire that says that she writes every morning. She, it's the first thing she does. She rolls out of bed, she starts writing. Um, otherwise, the only way she gets it in. Um, so if you set the time aside for yourself that's there, and then you choose to do something else with it, that's great. But if you're always looking at your day, you're never quite knowing where you're going to put your writing time in, that can make it always it, – it always gets deprioritized. Um, but when I read the question, it's interesting because there's, there's more than one type of distraction. There's external distractions and there's internal distractions. And I actually probably should ask a clarifying question when I saw this in the chat room because I didn't think about the two different approaches to that question before. Um, when it comes to um, also with the headphone thing, if, if you don't want to be bothered, like there are people around you, but it's not particularly noisy, that's not the kind of distraction, but you're, it's more being bothered. Like you're in the coffee shop, but the ambient noise won't disturb you, but people smiling at you and saying hello will. If you don't need the music or you find music a distraction, put the headphones on anyway. People typically won't bother you if you've got your headphones in. So you need a comfortable pair of headphones. Also, sometimes I have noise-canceling headphones, you know, the kind you switch. Not noise-canceling. Yeah, noise-canceling. The kind you have a little switch, and it creates like a little bitty faint hum of background noise that drowns out other noise, even if you don't have the music on. Mm-hmm. And that can Very just helpful. muscle and Yeah, that can just muffle the ambient noise in the room, even if you don't have music on. So headphones, because even if, like, if you've got other people in your house, them coming in and talking to you can be an unintentional distraction. If you have the headphones on, even if you're not playing music and you just pretend like you don't hear them, they have to make an overt action. They have to deliberately interrupt you, which kind of puts the assholery on their end for deliberately interrupting you as opposed to on your end for ignoring them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So if someone walks into the room talking and you don't have your headphones on, you not responding to them could be perceived by them as rude. But if your headphones are on and you don't react, well, conceivably you didn't hear them, and then they get your attention, then they're being a dick. Especially if it's not important. If, they're, if it's not important. So, um, but in terms of internal distraction, this actually I find to be the harder thing to deal with, which is where your mind is going in a million places at once, and oh, that. That five minutes of research won't take, you know, because you, you stumbled into something you want to answer on. And um, you think it's going to be five minutes to look something up, and you're in a two-hour spiral on the Internet later. Um, and then, oh, it won't take me but a second to check my email. And I'll just glance at Facebook real quick. And then you get pissed off on something on your news feed. And that may sound ridiculous on some level, but we've all been through that. And there's a reason yeah. why they, they created distraction-free writing devices is because people can't help it. <laughs> they can't help themselves. Um, I have a hard time not not getting online when I'm online. I actually ordered a distraction-free writing device, and what I mean by distraction-free writing devices, that's all it is. That's all you can do on it is write. You could make a you could make grocery lists on it if you want, but you can't do anything but type out something. You can't look something up. You can't get on. It does have internet capabilities because it will it's saving your stuff to Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever service you use. But you can't get on Facebook on it. You can't do research on it. And um, if you want to curb internal distraction, well, first you kind of got to deal with why are you got internal distraction. Um, 
if you just are super restless and hyped up, it might not be a good time to write. It depends. I mean, you'd have to learn you. There are times when, I mean, it's like I've got weasel brain. And, well, Kira called it ferret brain. But it's like brain weasels in there. It is like every five seconds I am changing subjects. It, that's not a good time for me to write because I will write a paragraph and move on to a different story. <laughs> it might be a good time to plot, however. But just to sit down and write, not a good thing for me to be doing when I'm in that state of mind. But if it's just typical stuff capturing my attention because um, I'm easily, my attention is easily caught, I have to cut down on the distractions in my writing environment, like literally, like close the web browser, like actually close it. Um, Make it harder to get back to the things that are distracting. Make it harder to get back to Facebook. Turn your Wi-Fi off. That can be a little bit risky if, you know, you auto-save to a cloud drive or something. Um, If that is the case, you're manually saving as much as you can. But you got to find a way to figure out what pulls your attention or what is getting in your way and then address those things. And if that means you got to be sure to close your web browser and turn your Wi-Fi off and have nothing open on your computer but um, your writing and your, your word processing app, then that's what you need to do. If that's still too much temptation, then get a writing or just one of those distraction-free writing devices and – Use that if you can afford them. I mean, some of them are a little bit expensive, but they have some that aren't outrageously expensive. Um, what you get? I would definitely say it, I, I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can find the one that I got. The, the company that I, the one I bought was called Oh, come on. Why is this not working? I can't get any of my links to pop up. I just backed a Kickstarter. It's not shipping until next year, but they already have a device. It, this is the one I got. Da, 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 da. Back to the chat room. That's the one I, I did that one. Now, they already have a, 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 um, a writing device. Uh, in production, and this is their newer, smaller kind of version. Um, they have one called the FreeWrite. Yeah, it's called the FreeWrite, and they, it, I guess it was really popular, but people gave some feedback about how it could be better, and um, they created this one called the Traveler, and the Traveler is in, it's in a Kickstarter. It's, I don't know, they had a fifty thousand dollar goal, and they're at four almost half a million now in funding in um funding yeah a four week battery life yeah Holy and there's only, but there's only five there's only five days left on that kickstarter so um it'll be six hundred dollars when it goes to market and like i said normally kickstarters can be a little bit risky but because they already have a product in production um i felt like taking the risk on this one because uh, they've already got a product out there. Uh, but I just was really super impressed with everything about this product. And uh, so this would be a true distraction for your writing. You slip it in your purse, you go to Starbucks. And there's nothing to pull your attention. If you've got a blank, something you don't know the answer to, you have to put in a blank and deal with it later. 
And see, that's a problem I could not maintain with. Now, you need to know yourself really well before you invest in something like this. I already know that a distraction-free writing device would not serve me. Because if I need to know something and I can't look it up and get it and then go back to writing, I'm fucked. I had the worst time writing when I didn't have power. I had a Dana, um, which was a really old school um, Palm OS uh, distraction-free writing device. Um, and it's also, I think it was marketed to college students for, for um, note-taking. I loved my mm-hmm. Dana, but I used my phone for research on the side. And, and that, I, w- I would do the same thing because I, I actually have the same issue. I have a hard time leaving a big blank. But using my phone, I, I won't get into a research spiral on my phone. It's too uncomfortable. But to look up one or two little things, like how long it takes to fly from so-and-so to so-and-so, I would totally do that on my phone. What happens when I'm on my computer, I just it go, I go crazy. I get off into tangents, and next thing I know, it isn't five minutes. It's two hours, and my writing time is gone, which is why a device like this would work, I think, work well for me because I would still have my phone if I really needed to look something up, and I would because I'm not great about leaving blanks either. But there's no way to look something up on the device, so... This I mean, it looks be, I don't know, but it yeah. wouldn't serve me. I think you need to know yourself um, before you invest in something like this. Because for some people, it would be awesome. For me, I since I know that I barely lasted six months on my Dana before I bought a laptop. But research spirals aren't a problem for me. Yeah, Unless I'm mean, not in the mood to actually write. <laughs> yeah. So this is a um, distraction in the storm. <laughs> some people, I mean, it, this definitely is a personality type type thing. Um, I can get easily get my attention easily pulled just by the icons on the side of the screen can pull my attention. Um, I'm a little you know, like a squirrel in that kind of way. You know, it's like, oh, that's that's interesting, and then I don't realize how much time is passing. But if my device does not, one of the reasons I thought this would work well for me is that if my device is not something that lends itself to distraction and I have to actually pick up my phone and work uncomfortably. Also, I realize 329 isn't cheap. I, don't, I wouldn't normally um, fling about price points like this. But this thing, um, if I lost it, I'd be unhappy, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't like curl up and die. It would cost me four grand to replace my laptop if something happened to it. Right. So now I had the Dana. I actually, I actually still do have the Dana. I just don't know currently where it is. <laughs> it's somewhere in my house. <laughs> and that link will work, even though it's kind of broken, it will still work and show you what I had. And I really, I mean, I enjoyed it for the writing experience, but in the end it was just super frustrating um, because it it couldn't it wasn't it didn't serve my needs as a writer. So you need to figure out what you need to write. What's your bare minimum? I could not operate with a an ink pen and a notebook unless I'm plotting. I can't write that way. I can't because I, I type way faster I than I write legibly. Exactly. I don't have the patience to write right. <laughs> Um, 
Well, one of the reasons why it's as thick as it is, that thingy, are you talking about the Dana or are you talking about the Traveler? Um, rain pages. It's a rain page. Um, the t- uh, part of it is because it's a full mechanical keyboard. Um, and mechanical keyboards, uh, by definition of their design, cannot be um, just thin. So um, I want to say it's, I want to say it, I don't remember if it's cherry brown or cherry blue. Uh, it's cherry, yeah, look, cherry MX brown. It's cherry Lady MX Hulk brown. Has a, has a smart pen she absolutely loves to write with. So I think, yeah, just you just need to figure out what your bare minimum is. Um, as yeah, far so as distraction free writing goes, you got to figure out. Where, I think that if you got you got to first figure out what you got to know what kind of writer you are, what you can deal with leaving. And actually, that issue that Kira mentioned will segue into our next question very well. But you got to know if you are trying to curb internal distraction or are you trying to curb external distraction. Um, and, and then you have to look at if it's an external, I actually find to be easier to deal with because that's headphones, that's chair, that's where you are in your physical space. If, if your distraction is coming from something internal, um, are you hyped up because you're overstimulated? In which case, don't sit down with a cup of coffee. Do some meditation before you sit down to write. Listen to some soothing music. Do something to bring your nervous system into a little bit of a calmer state. If your distraction is because you're tired, like so tired you can't concentrate, it may not be a good time to write. I don't have a good workaround for that. I actually write pretty well tired, but when I that I am not able to concentrate on writing because I'm that tired, that is like the point of no return. There's no help for that for me. And stimulants aren't going to help because they don't help me anyway. Um, So you just have to kind of figure out, you know, what your issue is and why you're distracted. If it's because you get – your tension gets pulled easily, it's tempting to go check on Facebook, you can start with things like turning off your Wi-Fi. Make sure your web browser is closed. And if you open it to look something up, immediately close it again. Don't leave it open just in case. Make yourself work for that distraction. Um, let's see. Yeah, so it, it's partially – I should have asked the, uh, the, the person who asked that question, the clarifying bit about we're talking about internal or external distractions because it's really different set of approaches. But the number one thing I'd recommend to anybody is if you don't have a comfortable set of headphones, either earbuds or headphones, whichever are more comfortable for you, you need to get a pair that's comfortable for you <laughs> because that is one of the biggest parts about keeping external distraction under control is making yourself unavailable to the world. And headphones are a great tool. So if your headphones are torture after a half an hour, you need to get better headphones, whether it's earbuds, um, the, I, I'm very fussy about earbuds. There's literally one that I can tolerate comfortably for more than like 10 minutes. Um, I used to have a pair of Sonys that I loved and I lost them and they discontinued them. And I was so upset. Then I bought a pair of Skullcandy and I'm really happy with them. 
the skull candy ones that have the like flexible little tips that kind of shape to yeah. your ear, those are really comfortable yeah. little silicone things. But those hard earbuds, I don't know how mm-hmm. people wear those. They're they're just torture. Um, I guess I just have a really prissy anti-tragus because it just gets all red and annoyed, and it's like, fuck you. Um, no, I could never wear AirPods. Oh my God, Ellie, you are just a Spartan girl. Um, AirPods make my ears just looking at them hurt, right? Um, but then these are my earbuds. These are my skull candies. Stupid. Link. Still works. It breaks, but it still works. Yeah, those are comfortable. They usually, they, I don't know if they still do, but they used to come with uh, three different size ear tips, so you could get the kind. The, uh, and they don't it anymore. Cur- yeah, yeah, it did. It, it came with four, I think, actually, four set mm. things. One that was on it, and then three more. And there's different sizes, so you can get the ones that fit in your ear and get a good seal. And then they do curve, so they're not pressing against. For me, the thing that's sensitive is my antitragus. It does not like a lot of pressure. Um, but, but I like how they curve into the ear. Like, even the outside curves a little. And it's it's, it's very comfortable. Um, and then... Um, If uh, and then and then you've got to find out um, with um, like if it's over the head headphones, um, like the headphones I use, the headset I use for the podcast, I could never use for writing because I mean no. the podcast duration is about as long as I could handle having because they are on ear headphones, which means they sit on the ear, and that pressure on my ear cartilage, it, I got about a two hour threshold with that, and I got to get them off. Um, I use. The over ear, which means the ear cup completely covers the ear, are the kind that I find the most comfortable for writing. Unless it's hot and you're sweating in your ear, into the ear, into the headphones, that's miserable, and then put the earbuds in. But if you have a really lightweight headphone that's over the ear, I rarely have a problem with sweating. I encounter more of a problem with sweating with my Sony's over the ear than I have with my current ones, which are Sennheiser. Sennheiser. They're really lightweight, and um, they're just not very sweaty at all. But you're right. These Impal um, on-the-ear headset, no. (laughs) It makes my cartilage hurt. I don't know how to spell Edie. I literally don't know how to spell it. Um, Do you see what she did? come on. In the corner. (laughs) In the corner. Yeah. How dare you? So if you know whatever works for you to feel comfortable and that you can keep on for a while, headphones are the, one of the writers writer's biggest tool to help with many kinds of distractions. If you need something to help you focus from like a music perspective, you can find the music that works for you. If it's just to deter people from talking to you, that can be a very powerful thing. Which we get. We get it. Sometimes I think I want somebody talking to me. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. If you're not physically comfortable, it will be difficult to write. And you want to be in a space, in a physical space, 
where you can get lost in your headspace and your and your physical comfort isn't even a concern. You got a good chair, you got a good space, you got a good place to write, your pen's working perfectly, you got the best notebook you got, <laughs> you know, or whatever you're doing. You know, your shit's charged and uh, you're not too cold, you're not too hot. Because if you get physically uncomfortable, it's going to throw you out of your um, out of your groove and make it difficult. In fact, physical discomfort is, to me, more irritating than somebody talking to me. Unless they're a real uh, dick. Some physical discomfort <laughs> I can deal with and some physical comfort discomfort I cannot. Because um, I used to have, I mean, my first... My first, sometimes writing helps distract me from some kinds of physical pain. I think I was in, I think I was in like a knee brace, my first, like, I don't, by knee, I mean ankle to hip um, brace. My first, very first rough trade, I think it was the first one, but it might have been the second one. And I, writing to me, if, if that pain is kind of below the, from the shoulder, from not my hands, as long as it's not my hands or my head, writing can really help keep my mind off of physical discomfort which is probably why the more pain I'm in the more I am writing (laughs) because it really does help take my mind off of it but if it's my hands or my arms that hurt or my head no that's just I can't deal um but that's different physical what's going on in your body like it's chronic is really different than your chair is poking you or it's putting your causing i had this one office chair that always put my made my feet fall asleep the way it pressed on the back of my legs just caused uh. my feet to fall asleep i'm like that just don't work that chair had to go uh, because i was like i i have like 15 minutes in this chair before my feet start to tingle from falling i'm mad at that uh, chair i'm, I'm, I'm kind of mad I was, I, it isn't even my chair <laughs> it had to go i i got rid of that chair with prejudice it was awful um so, so we answered a wide range of things that might be distracting and ways you can address it. If we didn't hit on the thing that is causing you distraction, please leave a follow-up question in the writer's table, since that's where this question came from, and we will address it next time. Um, I said there was a segue in there to a question. It isn't the next question, but I'm going go, to go to it next because it had a segue. Okay. And this question is, how do you feel about continuing a story when you are stuck at a certain point? And then she elaborates, scenarial practices of feudal Japan, as in going in, going on and writing the next book in the series, uh, because right now I'm not getting past the whole funeral part, even though I know exactly how it all goes and how everything transitions to the next part. So even though I'm a pantser, there is some plotting involved, but I'm just not sure about time jumping, even though I haven't gotten that far into typing it on the computer. So so what do you want to do? Like insert funeral scene, dot, 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 next scene? I think that, I do that when I'm writing. I, yeah. In, I, I'm I do that. Insert sex scene. <laughs> I, I am pretty linear in my writing. So almost almost hardcore about being linear. Like I'm gonna write it in order. That said, there are if the scene is important for some reason, but it is not important necessarily to the plot, that sounds weird. But like the sex scene. 
Okay, if nothing if nothing earth shattering is going to happen in that sex scene, other than the orgasms themselves, I'm like I'm with Kira. If I just not in the mood to write it, I'll just put write sex scene and move on with my and move on to the next thing. If I just if it's stalling me out, I'm not going to stall out over it. I think that is what she's asking. So if you know you need to write a detail and it's important that you write it, like a detailed, what did it say? A funeral practice is a feudal Japan. You need to know. You, you need to write a very detailed funeral scene, and it's just the the detail of it. Probably it's the detail of it that is stalling you out. It's just not where your head space is. Yeah, I would skip it and move on to the next thing you I know. To, I would ask to I ask move on you to the next why book. is it important? What happens in yeah. this funeral scene that is so important that it has to be demonstrated for your plot? And because there have been times when I've had scenes that I stalled out on that I was like, oh, it's so important, it's so important. But then when I look back on it and think, okay, you know, actually I only needed to convey to my reader two pieces of information out of that whole damn scene, what was my damage? (laughs) What made me go crazy there? What was that? You know? So ask yourself, how important is this scene? And um, can you convey that information in a different way that won't that won't bog you down or stall you out? Yeah. But I mean, I have been there with some scenes where it's kind of like um, I know I need to get. It's not so much that it's a lot, but it's just nuanced, and I'll like write all the dialogue and put a note to myself at the top of the scene to insert all the pageantry in the right language later. And if that's what you're doing and you're really stalled out because you don't want to go look up what this is called and get the words right. And sometimes you do that. Like you're writing in something that is not, um, not in your wheelhouse and you need to go look up what this part of a gun is called or, you know, what model gun um, what model sniper rifle the Marines would carry? And you're just you're stalling out every five seconds on something that is a word that that is looking up words, looking up the right word contextually, which is kind of where I assume kind of how I read that. Then I would write the dialogue, some cues about what's going on, and leave yourself a note to come in and do all the research, the cleanup research in your first edit. I would definitely not stall yourself out because you're having to stop and look up what is this garment called? Cause I mean, we're talking about a word or two that lends something authenticity, but could take you an hour <laughs> for research. And if it's stalling you out, move on. What if, okay, you've known it's been coming since the first of the book and that could be the problem. You've you've made it bigger in your head than it has to be. What if you don't do that thing at all? What if you take your main character, your your POV character, and you get them ready for the funeral? You talk about what's going to to happen. Um, his or her thoughts, his excuse of his brothers, his thoughts as he gets ready, um, and what the funeral means, and then close the book with him leaving to go to the funeral. That way you've conveyed all of his grief um, and the transition that, that this funeral represents. It's the closing of a chapter in his life. 
this funeral because the next book starts in a new city. So this is literally a, a closing moment for him. So instead of focusing on the pageantry of the funeral, you focus on your character and how he's getting ready for this funeral and using it as a metaphor for him getting ready for a new um, chapter of his life. I think that sounds like a great idea. So, but you know, even if you don't do, use that particular idea, if you just use a transition um, metaphor instead of the actual physical funeral. So. Yeah, it's some, but I mean, I have been in that situation where I'm like, I know I need to write this. I, I know it's going to be a lot of nitpicky, a little bit of research to get through this scene, and I don't want to do it right now. So I've left a bunch of blanks for me to fill in later, but I never leave like conversations and stuff to write later ever. Filling in some details about what's going on um, or getting the right terminology and looking that up later, like leaving little blanks here and there, picking a name for a tertiary character or I leave those kinds of blanks. I don't leave conversations unwritten and skip because every time I've ever done that, I've regretted it. Because when I went back and wrote that conversation, it, it, there was something in it that then I needed to go change, something else I'd written. And sometimes they don't flow right afterwards. Yeah. But filling in a missing word here or there, um, you see writers on Rough Trade occasionally where they'll leave a blank for pick house elf name later or um, pick the name, of the, you know, the name of the earldom. And they'll leave little blanks things and not stopping to look up. Don't, if, if that's getting in the way of you writing, don't stop and look it up. Move on. One of the and things that, that, um, that a metaphor um, is really good for is conveying uh, movement and motion in your story. You've got to be careful because you don't want to overuse the concept. But like I said in the chat room, it's kind of like the watch and emotional clockwork. You see John in therapy like once or twice in that story, but him rebuilding his watch in the background, his grandfather's watch, and admitting that he didn't you know, wear it the day he got married, that watch represents John putting himself back together and admitting and, and telling Rodney in the end that, yes, that he absolutely would wear that watch the day they get married. And it's about John putting himself together like that watch. And the, the whole story is about him getting all of his parts working again, <laughs> you know? So that's the metaphor that I chose for that. But you got to be careful with it because you can overuse it and then it becomes trite. Or what's that thing you use? It's not contrived. Mm-hmm. Or it feels like you're beating the people over the head with it. Right. And also I thought well, it was really important that he get parts from Earth and that somebody else brought the parts to him. And that was uh, a representation of him admitting that he needed help and seeking others out. You know, there was the thing with Graham and, and the magnifying glass and Carter going out and finding different watches like his and putting them in the box to send to Pegasus for him. Um, and it's about him reaching out to others um, for something really important and trusting them to deliver, which is something John's had a real hard time with all of his life. So anyway, sometimes I think I might go a little bit deeper (laughs) in my fanfic than it's probably necessary. (laughs) 
No, I don't, I don't know. If it makes you, all it matters is it makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, should we go on to the next question? Did that help? Um, okay, good. Um, <laughs> oh, but one thing I didn't say before we move on is that it really does help when you're stuck on something is try to figure out why you're stuck. Um, I totally skipped over that part of the, if you're stuck because it's a lot of little minutia that you just don't want to deal with, that's a different problem from I'm not in the mood to write a sex scene right now. Um, and so the remedy might be different. But or generally, in her case, it's because she put this scene in her brain at the very beginning, and then perhaps she wrote a novel that the ending that she originally imagined doesn't really serve it. You know, like J.K. Rowling in the epilogue. <laughs> Just saying. Not, not to be too pointed. Um, I'm not bitter or anything. <laughs> there's, there's, what? What epilogue? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, all right, our next question um, is from. Is she in the chat room? Well, she's not in the chat room. I'm not going to use her name. Although we do use. Yeah, we do I talk about it out of my book too. Okay. Okay. So I'm not. Gonna, she's not in the chat room. So. Um, this is a question of characterization, and the question is: When is Tony Dinozo no longer Tony Dinozo? So, say you're writing a story in a fandom and decide to borrow a character from another fandom. You twist and turn the character to adapt what you need. So when you when have you crossed a line? When is it no longer Tony Dinozo instead Michael Weatherly playing Alex Shepard? Corollary question, when do you borrow and when do you just create an OC? Um, you've done both. You've done one where Michael Weatherly is definitely playing Alex Shepard and one where he was Tony Dinozo um, first, and well, he was Alex Shepard, then he was Tony, and then he was Alex again. Right. Um, the, the Alex Shepard question is interesting that that was the example because if I had never written If Found, Please Return, and I had written an Alex, a, a fourth Shepard brother named Alex, I would not have cast by Michael Weatherly to play him. Um, for starters, <laughs> but when I decided to write an AU of my, basically a, a, a different story where where Tony was never kidnapped and never became Tony Dinozo. He did become an OC played by Michael Weatherly. He was no longer Tony Dinozo. He couldn't be. But I will say, though, that because the original idea did come from Tony originally being a shepherd, getting kidnapped, becoming Tony Dinozo, and then going back to his family and becoming Alex Shepard again, I do consider what I consider to be integral traits to Tony Dinozo to be how I developed Alex Shepard as a character. So where you might recognize a little bit of Tony in Alex Shepard, you shouldn't be seeing much because his life experiences are completely different if he's raised a shepherd. if he goes into the sciences or in the military or whatever and not in law enforcement and he has a happy, loving family his whole life, he's a completely, he is going to be completely different, but I am going to still try to capture some of that, those intrinsic traits, the, the, the puzzle solver kind of intelligent sense of humor, that kind of thing. 
Um, but we have talked a little bit about this. So Tony Alex, a little bit of a, a, an off question because Alex Shepard did kind of become an OC. Um, and normally I think what you're talking about is you're borrowing a character from a fandom and you're leaving their name intact. They're not, they don't have a different origin story. They just get so twisted around that they no longer look like the character in question. Or the other side of that is you take a character, you put them in a completely different set of circumstances and you call it that character, but it has no, they have no bearing, no look, no, nothing similar to that character at all. Um, We've talked about that a little bit with Harry Potter. People put Harry Potter in um, in a non-magical AU. They give him a different hair color. I mean, I would sorry, not different. All he has, all he has, it's similar. He was grown up with a different name. Um, he's in a completely he, he, different name, different situation, different world. No magic. All that this guy has, similar to Harry Potter is that he's got black hair and green eyes. And people will call that a Harry Potter story. And we've talked about that. That bears no resemblance to Harry Potter at all. <laughs> if he if doesn't even have the name, it's not Harry anymore. I mean, at, at some point you have to go, this is not the character. So but I think some I think, people use the shelter of fandom as a, um, as a crutch. Yeah, they don't want to, they want, well, they want more people reading their work than would be reading it, that, that they think than would be reading it if it was original work. But taking a character and keep, let's say you even keep Harry's name and you put him in a non-magical AU, um, in order for it to look like Harry and not feel like you've bent him completely out of shape, you have to figure out what's essential to that character and make sure you're preserving it. Otherwise, you're writing an OC with the name of Harry Potter. Um, and we've talked about this example before, and I'm going to have to use it again because it really is in fandom like one of the stellar examples of this is Sunriders, Fate, Protects Fools, um, Small Children and Ships Named Valor. It is an exceptional example of characters outside of their canon circumstances, way outside of their canon circumstances, all with the same name, completely different backstory, and yet they're all recognizable without it feeling like a caricature. I mean, it is a brilliant piece of character work, that story. Even if you don't like Star Trek or NCIS, well, you'd have to know NCIS a little bit to understand what brilliant character work that is, but... Even if you're not into NCIS fan fiction or you're not into Star Trek, if you know the NCIS characters at all, you should go read that story just as an exercise in, in really brilliant character study because all of those characters are recognizable as who they were without feeling like a ter- caricature. None of them have the same backstory that they had in canon, and certainly they're not in the same canon circumstances because they're on a fucking starship. So... If you can't do something like that where you preserve the essence of a character without making them feel like a caricature, then you might as well go with an original character. Would be my... I'm not even sure I could do that, so... 
So there for you me, go. I, the only reason um, for me, I have to ask myself, what what do I need from the person in this role? Um, what does you know? I have to ask myself if okay, if if I bring Tony Genozo into this part, what do I need from Tony Genozo for my plot? Why him instead of an OC? What does what purpose does he serve? Because if he's coming in from a different canon, if a different a different show, and I'm crossing over, I'm pulling in a character because I need them, not because. I think I need to write a crossover or because I think that it will make me have more readers or, or whatever. I only pull in a character because I think I need them. I need something specific from them. When I bring Blair Sandberg into Sentinels of Atlantis, it's because I needed him. Not some other guy who's calling himself the Alpha of North America. I needed Blair Sandberg. I needed to ground the Sentinel Center, um, um, Center process with a very stable and traditional influence in the Sentinel fandom. So that only equals Blair and Jim. Nobody else would have done. When I came time to write what might have been and I needed a head of security for Rodney's home. I needed somebody to to take care of um, the, on, on their home and, and provide security for their family. Um, I didn't need Tommy Dinozo, obviously. I, I didn't need, but I did like the actor, so I cast him originally as Declan Frost. But I changed that in Signals of Atlanta specifically because um, I'm going to actually bring Tony Dinozo in as the nephew of Patrick Shepard at at a certain point. But anyways. Um, I bring in a fandom character because I need them, not because I want to expand my readership. It's all very meticulous. Like, uh, do you need Tony Dinozo or just a guy from NCIS? Because there is a difference. Do you need a Navy, an a Navy SEAL or do you need Steve McGarrett? For me, the answer is, well, yes, I, I need Steve McGarrett. <laughs> But why well, do you need Steve McGarrett? Well, I would, I, would, I have to, I disagree with Kira slightly on this because if fandoms are in the same universe, and I mm-hmm. need an NCIS agent in Hawaii Five O, let's say I was setting my story in Hawaii Five O primarily, but I needed an NCIS agent, I would pick a canon NCIS agent rather than make one up personally. Because yeah, it's well, the same I'd fucking universe. Pick somebody from the cast of NCIS LA. Before I would NCIS. Right. Um, I mean, there are, but see, that I makes I, sense. But if I'm writing right. a Stargate and I just need an NCIS agent, do I need Tony or do I need a NCIS agent? When I brought Gibbs and Tony in to um, hold my coffee, that was 1,000% because Lady Holder thought it would be fun. <laughs> and actually, Lady Holder liked Gibbs, and I was like, I'll just bring in Gibbs. It, it, you know, it, it could have actually been any pairing, but I think Gibbs served a really interesting foil to Meredith, but I really just did it because Lady Holder wanted it. <laughs> I, if I did that, 
Yeah. It, it, in that example, if I were writing a Stargate AU and I needed an NCIS agent and not particularly Tony, I would hesitate to use Tony unless I was planning on doing something significant with him. Because I'm a Tony-centric writer, and having Tony in almost a throwaway role would piss my readers off. It would piss me off. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, like, I, I'm not an NCIS writer, so for, for my fans, it was more like of a little Easter egg. Right. But also in your... Uh, in that episode, it wasn't really a throwaway role, but in the series overall, it is. I would say it's kind of a, it's kind of irrelevant. At least so of, of what we've seen in the story so far. Yeah, it could have been um, anybody. It could have been right. any NCIS agent, any any pair. But um, I did it for Lady Holder. <laughs> so I mean, to some degree, it a little bit depends upon what who what what your focus is as a writer. So like like Kira, if she wrote a, um an NCIS-focused story that had nothing to do with the Stargate universe, and she had a a pilot, um, an Air Force pilot that was ferrying them around for some reason, I, I bet you she would think twice before she would make that John Shepard. I mean, it would depend upon whether or not she thought that would be a fun Easter egg, but if he had, like, two lines in the story, it could be a real kind of, oh. Um, like if they were, also, like, overseas uh, in the Middle East or something? Honestly, well, I was, uh, that could be a fun no, I Easter egg, John. But I could do it to, to like. Um, I think it'd be really interesting if, um, like, one of my OCs or uh, maybe even Evan Lorne would be interesting because we don't know a lot about his history before he got to the SGC. Yeah, and that could be. But, but that we could do be know a that fun Carter was a pilot, also. Yeah. 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 Oh, that could be a fun Easter egg, but when it's somebody when it, when it's somebody you're known for writing and you just use them as a throwaway character in a story, it's a little bit of a hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when it comes to the do I need that character? Well, it dep- like I said, it depends upon what universe you're writing in. If 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 you're writing in SGA and you need another character, are is there a character at the at the Stargate command that will do or do you really need to Make somebody up, and and actually, when it comes to Stargate, I'm actually much more inclined to create a character because a lot of the characters aren't very well. A lot of other than the other than the main characters, the secondary characters kind of really come and go, and they're not very well fleshed out. Um, but like in the example of needing an NCIS agent, um, if I was in the Stargate, if I was in like Hawaii Five O or MacGyver or I would never write Scorpion, but even if I, if I were writing a Scorpion, any of those shows that are connected in the same universe, making up an OC Magnum. NCIS agent actually wouldn't Magnum. How are they retconning all of Tony's discussions talking about Thomas Magnum? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> that's 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 like making James Bond a real person in the NCIS universe. It just it's like what. Um, <laughs> It's fabulous. I mean, Tony it, totally totally talks about Magnum. better if they'd actually cast Michael Weatherly as Magnum. That would have been awesome, actually. Um, but I feel like I've actually been noodling on this plot where Tony and Magnum know each other. But anyway. Um, if I needed an NCIS agent in a Hawaii Five O or a Magnum, I, I, if I wasn't doing something significant with Tony... Um, I would probably use one of the guys from New Orleans or L.A. or 
whatever. Um, so how you p- pull your characters, but if you're pulling, a, if you're needing an NCIS agent in your, um, an NCIS agent to, win- to arrest the Winchesters in your supernatural story, using a canon and uh, somebody from the canon show might not be the best idea. You might be better off with an OC. If they, particularly if they don't play a prominent role. Um, and then, cause this is something I see people do is they'll use a character from here and a character from there and then put all of those fandoms in as crossover fandoms. Characters that have it's like just one attention line. seeking. Yeah. Cause even when I had emergence up on emergence, I did pull characters from a lot of fandoms in emergence, but I only listed two, the top three Stargate, um, Stargate Sentinel and, um, NCIS. I didn't list CSI Miami. I didn't list um, Magnificent Seven. I didn't list Criminal Minds. And the guys from Criminal Minds played a pretty significant role in the first half. And I still didn't list it as a Criminal Minds crossover because I was just using the characters and the canon of Criminal Minds had zero to do with my story, which is why I didn't list it as a crossover. Um, could, now, I have to admit, any time I am writing a... Um, NCIS story, if I need a profiler from the FBI, it's going to be someone from the BAU, from the from Criminal Minds. That's who it's going to be. I mean, cause they, they're not exactly in the same universe, but they feel like they are because they're both CBS crime dramas. That's just how I feel about it. Um, so we kind of, we kind of talked about the, the one side of the question about um, like the crossover aspect, like you're you're needing a character and you're pulling them from whichever place. Um, but the, let me go back to what the other part of the question was. When do you borrow? When do you create an OC? We kind of talked about that, but I borrow typically if. If the role is significant and the fandom, that character as established in canon is useful in the role. And respectful. You don't want to take a canon character um, just for the purpose. I can pull them into your, do a crossover, just to corrupt them beyond recognition. I would never have taken an outside character Suck them in ties that bind in the role of Kevin. Um, Jesus Christ, I forget his name. Jordan. How can I forget my bad guys? Jordan, thank you. Jordan, Kevin Jordan. I made a, I, I made an OC. I could have easily taken a, a character from a different fandom and slotted them into that role, but it would have been an immense amount of bashing. Especially if it's a fandom you don't particularly read or write. Um, right. It could have been seen as disrespectful of that fandom and the people who like that character. Um, like if you had made, um, when you wrote Tides of Bind, you, you watched NCIS, but you didn't write NCIS at that time, and you certainly did. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you read much of it. So if you had slotted Gibbs in as the Kevin Jordan kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, that would have been an immense amount of bashing for, for the character of Gibbs. Yeah, and she probably, you know, alienated some people. Um, went to borrow this, and this part is just my opinion. I don't know. There seemed to have been 
a surge at one point. It's kind of still going on a little bit. Maybe it was around Michael Weatherly leaving the role. I don't know of Tony Dinoza, but there seems to be a surge of Tony as a secondary character in a crossover um, where he just feels like he, he as himself was like, I, I, I was intrigued. I read quite a lot of these because I was intrigued by the concept and I admit it was my unicorn, so I got a little touchy about it. But I felt like felt like it was it was a lure to bring in readers like me who might not read that otherwise, and it felt like a bait and switch because his anything essential to Tony was irrelevant to his role in the story, and he didn't even seem much like him. So it was annoying, and I I think Kira had a had a good word for it. It feels disrespectful of the character and of the people who really like that character to throw him, pull him into a completely unrelated fandom and then not use him well. And, you know, by all means, take a character that you enjoy, like Tony Dozo, and, and put him into a fandom where you can have some fun with him, like making him the agent of float on SGA, which is like fucking awesome. <laughs> we love that. I, wish, I don't know Let's why I've it. never done it. I don't know why I've never done it. Cause it would be great. Um, you know, make him the make him the new in in in, a, in a NCIS liaison for Hawaii Five O. Hell yeah! You know, just just give him some meat. But if you're just gonna have a throwaway character or a character that you're gonna Kevin Jordan, <laughs> is that a verb? It's a verb now. One word, one exclamation point. For verb, um, um, if you do that, you don't want to do that to a character. Um, from you don't want to do that to somebody's unicorn. You want to take an OC, you know. Um, I'll take, for instance, that my um, my characterization of Sam Carter in Ties That Bind. I just twisted her a little bit, and I picked her. I'm not a Carter basher, um, but I picked her for the role because I could not see Jennifer Keller pulling it off. And I had to have a strong female in McKay's life that you could realistically see putting him into that position and him tolerating it. Now, I could have invested a lot of time writing an OC, but it wouldn't have been nearly as powerful as making it as Sam Carter. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I agree. The thing is, is with Carter, I mean, it really didn't take much to just to twist her just a little bit. I think that her her um, her portrayal in Ties at Bind is actually realistic for her um, for the characterization that I did with her. Um, in that, I really don't honestly think that Carter meant to go off the deep end, but she did anyway. She she let herself go into a very frustrated, uneducated place, and she lost the plot. So it it's a very human thing to do. And she's, um, I, and I do think that she's kind of, um, what we see in her character is that unless somebody really shocks her out of her um, mindset, she can really get wrapped up in, um, being convinced that she's right. 
And she also loses um, track of humanity in canon a lot. And what really sticks yeah, her, out in my brain moral compass is the great. Episode, yeah, and the, the the one that sticks out in my brain and will forever be in my brain is the one where they're watching that team die behind, in front of a black hole. And she's fascinated by the black hole and the opportunity to study it. She's totally overlooking the fact that four people she knows are dying in front of her, and they will spend decades dying. And they know it. And Jack has to basically yell at her to get her to snap back. And remind her that they're actually human beings. They're dying right in front of her. It was like, whoa. (laughs) And she does, on, on many occasions, need somebody to snap her back to reality. And without that influence, without anybody noticing the thing that she's slipping on, which her marriage was private, um, her her moral compass, she, she's one of those people who needs a Jiminy Cricket. And she didn't have one. So... Yeah, I, I I could see she's one of the she's one of those characters that is one we've talked about some characters that you and most characters when you turn them a little bit the point is to to when you adjust them a little bit a few degrees one way or the other on a trait it it really changes how they act but with somebody like Sam Carter who's who's more who is not her moral center is, is a little off center um, you change her just a few degrees one more you know towards asshole and she could be a raging asshole without it feeling contrived or um, out of character or whatever Um, so I think that that was a good I I like the idea do you need the do you need the character what does this established character bring to this role um, now, if a lot they of times aren't bringing bring a lot to the table, yeah. If the, but if they're not bringing anything you need, make an OC. Don't bend a canon character to fit into a box that they don't fit in. And I know people go, "Oh, don't write OCs, don't write OCs." I hate, oh, fuck them. You do you. It is better that you write an original character than you take a character from another fandom and twist them around and they don't even look like the real thing. They're just being called by that name to make your readers happy. That's bullshit. I had a soapbox moment. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I can, I can, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure if there's enough room on the soapbox, but I'm willing to get up there with you. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll hold your hand. <laughs> It could be a tiny soapbox. I don't know how big this soapbox. I have I have really big soapboxes that could fit the whole horde on them. Um, Okay. Okay. But some of my soapboxes are tiny. Uh, (laughs) But this, you know, in this, when it comes to, you should never a if you think you might want an OC in a role, that's that's the end of the discussion. You don't need to try to find a canon character that could fit. If your inclination is to write an original character 
and your only pause is the way people react to original characters, just borrow our double bird towards fandom and I'm doing it right now. original character. Just I, I two birds in the air. We have four. <laughs> it's two pairs of double birds. So you write the original character. Um, and boo, that's six. You got six birds. Yeah, it, I, guess, yeah. I would say if, if the character, if you're using a character from a fandom and you're not touching that fandom other than the character, I would personally never call that a, a crossover. Um, crossovers to me, they're canon that need to interact. <laughs> But that's and just, if someone that's comments me. on your fic and tells you you had too many OCs, you tell them to kiss my ass. You feel free to send them my email address. We'd be happy to have a conversation. <laughs> um, a crop, now, the thing is, if you're thinking about a character and a, and, a, and a canon character from another show comes to mind, if that's the first thing that crossed your mind, there might be a reason why you need that character. But if no character comes to mind, you just know you have a role, well, A, you could bunny bounce with somebody who could go, oh, my God, can you imagine what you could do if you put uh, Daniel Jackson in this spot? Um, and that might, you know, that might give you some inspiration to take to do something else. But if, if you're just, if you don't have any, oh, that is a terrible sound my phone is making. I hope you guys can't hear that. No, no, we can't. Oh. Okay, good. Um, if if you can't, um, oh, very loud. Uh, if you can't think of a canon character that fits the role you have, or your role is nebulously defined, well, a if it's nebulous, it probably isn't a central character. Um, in which case, oh, see it. But if your first inclination ever is to create an OC, then create the OC. I was reading this story that, of, I agree, of necessity, this story was going to have um, a lot of original characters in it. And I was fine with that. I mean, I don't care. But um, it actually would have been clunkier when you have a bunch of characters needed in a story and people are pulling in 35 characters from different fandoms and putting them into some sort of soup and you're like wait a minute what and none of them really play a key role these were all at best secondary to tertiary characters and she needed she really did need dozens of them over the course of several hundred thousand words and she actually warned for and kept apologizing for necessary original characters and I just wanted to like write her and go, stop apologizing for original characters. Your story's banging. But it was just so sad that she felt like she had to apologize for original characters. And that's all fandom being assholes. Because you shouldn't have to apologize for your original characters. Let that if you have, go, people. Frankly, all you need to have for it to be fan fiction is either recognizable circumstances or recognizable characters. Character. It could be Tony in a sea of OC <laughs> on a made-up ship, and it would be fan fiction <laughs> because it'd be Tony's fan fiction. To go back to the to the original question, um, and, I, and I think, and I I think our questioner is in the chat room now. Who says? I think that the the participant list is not updating correctly because I see Ellie commenting on the question, but I don't see her over in the 
in the sidebar. It's sad. Okay. Um, but, I'm refreshing the chat room. So. Just to but see if that don't, um, I, I personally don't like it when characters are bent so out of shape that I don't recognize them. And they just, all they're carrying that is similar to the fandom character is a name. And if that's the only thing that's similar, and sometimes, and I really have only ever seen this in the Harry Potter fandom, where <laughs> he doesn't even have the name. All he's got is green eyes, and it's like, and that they're calling it Harry Potter. It's like, in what way is that Harry Potter? Are you it's thinking not, and they need bit? to fucking stop. They just fucking own that it's not Harry Potter. So... If you have any more question there, we'll move on to the next one. But if, there's, if you have any follow-up question on that, Ellie, just let us know. Um, the last one we did kind of talk a little bit about recently. Um, did I lose my – of course, that would be the tab that I closed because that's how I roll. I closed the wrong <laughs> tab. It's what I do. All right. Um, the last question. This is about chaptering. Um, and and the re- uh, instead of just giving a, a reference to the pod, we did have a writer's table where we talked about chaptering. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead of just giving a link to that, I did have some a couple of things that came up. We actually talked about this um, offline. Um, the question is um, about the best way to chapter a story. Uh, as a panther, I'm finding I have a lot of trouble adding chapters as I write, so I'm trying to add them after the rough draft is finished, but that's difficult too. I've been going mostly by word count. Are there any help, helpful tricks I could use? Um, and we did talk quite a lot about methods of chaptering. Uh, the method of adding your chapters at the end, I've always found that to be bizarre because a chapter to me should have a, a, a flow. And if you don't have that in mind when you wrote it. I don't know how you find it later. But some people may just do that. But I thought maybe because we had talked about this before and we could find the link to that writer's table that came up, um, I thought we could talk about some things not to do, where not to put chapters. Because, Kira, you had, we specifically talked about um, putting a big time skip in the middle of a chapter. Yeah, I think that's a mistake to put a big, huge, like, a year later in the middle of a chapter. The only thing worse, I think, for me, is if you end every single fucking chapter on a um, cliffhanger, I want to kill you. Um, oh, and also, something I noticed in um, in romance novels early on that really pissed me off is they will end one chapter with a kiss and start the next chapter with the sex scene. Are you fucking kidding me? That's not how that Take a deep breath. That is so irritating. It's like, come on. <laughs> Look, what are you a, what are you what what are you doing? A chapter has a beginning, a middle, and an end. If your characters are kissing and sex happens in the next chapter, sex is the end. It's not the beginning of the next chapter. Because if the chapter ends on a kiss, I'm assuming, and, and, and there's an implication that sex is going to happen, I'm assuming a fade to black. Me too. And then when it doesn't happen, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? This is not how this works. 
we faded to black. We're moving on. Apparently not. Okay, we did um, chaptering and um, chapter blocks and pacing in episode 12. And I will put that in the list of links tonight. But I will say one thing for Panthers. Um, I, I have many times gotten into a story where, where I have a plan for a chapter, and I do try to, I try to shoot for the 5,000 rule. In, in, a, in a novel, I try to shoot for the 5,000 words per chapter guideline. Um, I'm not always full, okay? If I'm right in the middle of the last scene, even if that last scene is going to take me to 7,000 words, I'm not going to stop. And sometimes yeah, I go forward. A scene, a, and sometimes a single, scene, a single scene has an arc, too. And if a single scene comes in at 4,000 words, even if I didn't get everything I had planned for that chapter in, I'm going to stop. Because a scene, typically, a long scene has an arc of its own as well. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. Short scenes sometimes don't. Sometimes it's just one and done. But a long, if you're talking about a scene of that length, it has a rhythm of its own. So a single scene can be a chapter. And if I've hit about 4,000 words and I'm on a single scene, I'm not going to start the next scene, unless the next scene is super short. But sometimes a super short scene right at the end can wreck my pace. So... It's kind of a, a juggling thing, a juggling act when I screw up an estimate of what's going into a chapter, and then I kind of have to do a little bit of replanning on the fly. But one of the things you do, and this is how I approached it when I was a pantser, is I would get to about four, I would, when I got to about 4,000 words, I would stop it at the end of the scene after wherever I was, and that's what I would do. And because as long as I didn't have a time skip, if there was a big time skip or it was some kind of – but plotters – I think plotters have a different set of issues. Um, If you're pantsing, it can can be really difficult, and that could be one thing you could try if other things haven't worked is decide what your chapter lengths are going to be approximately – and when you get to 75 to 80% of that length, start looking for where you're going to wrap it up, whether that's the scene you're in, whether that's one more scene, two more scenes. If you know you're about to do a big time skip and it means you're going to, have, you're going to go 1,000 words over, then go 1,000 words over. So it's like bear in mind what your don'ts are. Don't do a big time skip in the middle of the chapter. Um, don't. Don't pick up the next chapter with the very next word. I mean, that's, that's, what you're, that's what Kira's talking about when she says there's a sex scene. I mean, a kiss, and then the next chapter is a sex scene. I think we'll do that with conversations, too. It's like the chapter ends, and the next chapter begins with the next sentence. <laughs> it's like, but the next line of dialogue, well, I literally. You. I can't believe fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm like, <laughs> why the hell did you do a chapter break when you're in the same scene? Now, when you do that, there are times when you might do that in a big suspense moment, like you have a trial, and you, you're five, let's say you're 5,500 words into that chapter, and you've got a long way to go, and you just had a big reveal. And at that, at that big reveal, you close the chapter and go to the next one. That is, that's a cliffhanger, and it's a good one. 
and you get like one or two of those, a, a book, without people wanting to murder you. You click. Well, you get one from me. <laughs> I've read some. It long better be a damn where, good one. I've read some long novels where I, I dealt with a couple of cliffhangers, but in general, some people put a cliffhanger on everything because they think it's building suspense or some such shit, and I just it just makes me want to I don't know stab them in the eye or something. Um, it doesn't build suspense. It builds irritation. Yeah. That's what it really does build is irritation. It's like, I'm so fucking irritated. Uh, so if you're really, it's just, when it comes to like things like panting or plotting or whatever, you, you, you figure out what the, your hard line don'ts are. And when it comes to like chaptering around panting, I would figure out what your list of don'ts are and then try a few different methods to see what works for you. And one of the methods, like I said, the method I use is my, assuming I was minding my don'ts, I got to the about 80% of what my ideal chapter length was. I would start looking for where I could wrap the chapter up. Because if you're looking for an end to the chapter, it allows you to write in that falling arc, that arc, that beginning, middle, end thing when you're pantsing, as opposed to trying to figure out where those naturally are later when they're very difficult to find if you don't write them in. So. That's all I had to add on the chaptering thing. And so Kira's going to put the link to the prior podcast where we talked about chaptering in the Thing. I will. And that I've already made a list. And that is questions that were posted in Facebook. There was a question up here earlier about um posting on RT um um and how to post. Now, uh rough trade is a special circumstance. Um some people post um as they write, so they they just post what they've written for the day and move on. Um, some people post, in, and I've done that. I've also posted uh, in chapters. This this November, I'm going to post in chapters. I have 10 chapters planned, and I'm going to post that way. I'm going to have 10 posts, um, which is my goal. Um, but Rough Trade is a special circumstance, so don't worry about your posting pace or where you get cut off, because um, that isn't the point of Rough Trade. When you're building a novel and you're putting a whole thing up, that's a different thing. But when you're writing on Rough Trade, you're not putting together an experience for a reader, you're having an experience as a writer. Yeah. I tried a lot of different posting methods on Rough Trade. Um, there is something alluring about posting every day. I, I will say I think that if you struggle with keeping going, that the discipline of posting every day could be a very good thing for you. Um, I do think that a lot of times the discipline of trying trying to get – and we've had challenges where you had to post every day. But it was like only every day for a week. So, you know, don't freak out and think that we were like horribly mean, awful, <laughs> doing horrible, awful things to people that, you know, we had to – it was a Stargate and Harry Potter one July boot camp where we did like seven – you had to post every day for seven days, and then we got a week off and you did every day for seven days or right. something like that. Anyway, um, if you're trying to write every day, posting every day can be part of that thing. But 
I found posting chapter fragments for the most part. If I was in a challenge where I need to post every day, I would post every day no matter what. But posting chapter fragments really bothered me. I've done it in multiple challenges. I didn't like it. Um, the only time it works for me is when I'm writing what I would consider to be like a novella or something that's more one shot where I wouldn't chapter it normally. Or it would come in parts. Um, and then I will post a part of a part but they're still close to chapter length that I post. But when it comes to actually a novel where I'm post something I would write in chapters, I have to post the whole chapter. The days of me posting chapter fragments are like chapter 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D. It, it, it drove me batshit insane the year that I tried to post in November. It drove me nuts. No, it, no. it was posted, the posting every day it was fine, <laughs> but the posting chapter fragments, it made me crazy. Um, I, I didn't like it. It works for some people, and they should do it. That's how you should, whatever you whatever you whatever works for you do. Whatever keeps you writing, do it. If the discipline of posting every day helps get you through the challenge, then post every day. As long as you as long as it's a thousand words, we do have a minimum. So as long as you're posting at least a thousand words, if you want to only write a thousand words a day, go for it. Just do what keeps you moving. But in a novel length challenge, I don't think I will ever post a chapter fragment again. It just It's super I can't, annoying. I I have no way of expressing how much that bothered me. <laughs> I don't mind when other people do it. And there are people that I, I read their work. Um well I I, I read, you know, the, if I'm following somebody's story, if they've posted a chapter fragment or if I'm reading it, I'm just gonna go read it anyway. What they do to keep them going is fine, but I can't I would much rather miss a posting day than put up a part of a chapter. Sometimes it drives me nuts how people post, but that's because I have OCD and that's my problem and not theirs. Um, and sometimes I'll wait to the very end to read somebody's work because I can't stand the way they post. And again, that's my fault. That's my problem. I have, sometimes I have a hard time reading a work in progress from some people. Not all people, just some people. <laughs> yeah. I do read works in progress occasionally, but there are some authors I would never read a work in progress from. Um, I, I have a writer who I really enjoy their work. I really enjoy it. But they tend to post, they post very long chapters, like 10K which to me is actually, I find that to be excessive in, as an average chapter length. But whatever, that's, I like that's the practically story. a novella. Um, but okay. Right. I, it's definitely a short story. Um, and so they post like these really long chapters, and, but they also post them extremely infrequently. What was happening is when, when they were, po- if they were posting every week, fine. I would probably have followed their whip. But when sometimes a chapter wouldn't drop for three months, the next chapter would come and I wouldn't remember the chapter or two before. And it's one thing to catch up on five to 10 K. Actually, that still can be kind of a lot. Having the, the, the having the, to re, the regressive reading was just annoying the fuck out of me. And I said, I was never going to read it with the first again. It's fine. I mean, it's not that I, it's not that I'm saying she has to post more. That's not it. it. Whatever her posting rate is fine, but I know better than to post than to read somebody who drops long chapters very infrequently because I know I'm going to have to go back a chapter or two, and having to go back 20K, 
that might be all the reading time I have. <laughs> right? It's like, no, no, nah, dude. But you don't have to figure out, you don't have to commit to a posting method in Rough Trade from the jump. You could try different experiments. You could try posting full chapters. You could try posting whatever you wrote that day. Um, I have seen, this is infrequent, but I have seen it. I have seen people stop and post, stop either like mid-scene, mid-paragraph, um, especially mid-paragraph. Just I'm like, what the fuck? And post breaking mid-paragraph, like right in the middle of a conversation, and they just stop because that's where they were at the end of the day. The issue with that, and this is just, you can do what you want. This is to be kind to your moderator. People think you've had a copy-paste error, and that is what it looks like when you stop right in the middle of something. You're like, well, I've got to go to bed. I'm going to post whatever I've got. Okay, could, could you back up <laughs> to whatever you've got that wasn't right in the middle of that paragraph, that sentence? So I don't get a whole you... bunch of emails saying, hey, I think their post is fucked up. Yeah. That's just to be kind to your moderator thing because – and the thing is, if it really does look like a copy and paste error, like there's no punctuation it's in the middle of a sentence, we're going to have to write you and ask you the question. Did you have a copy and paste error? And if the answer is no, we're going to go, okay, that's going to be the end of it. But if the answer is yes, then you're going to, we did our due diligence, you go fix it. But it, just don't. My recommendation is to please at least try to get to the end of the scene. And if it's a really long scene, have just a natural rhythm where you're breaking. Please. <laughs> please. That's the, there's your moderator plea is please don't post something that it feels like. If people could interpret it as you screwed up in your copy and paste, then please don't break there. <laughs> I would greatly please. appreciate it. Well, people um, will. Yep. Just numbering your posts: post one, post two, post three. Some people do. Some people who are committed to posting every day will go day one, day two, day three. Um, you'll see people. Some people call it chapter one A, one B, one C, one D, and then when they get to two, they're done with chapter one. Ah. <laughs> Whatever, I've tried. I think I've tried it all. When it comes to novels, the only thing that works for me is posting a full chapter, which is why I would always call it chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. If I'm going to break up chapters, I'm going to do that post one, post two, post three thing, Ellie, because I appreciate that better than the A, B, and C. Yeah. The only reason why I like the A, B, C thing is because if I it tells me they actually know where their chapter end, ended and the next one began. <laughs> <laughs> Although sometimes I've seen like post, you know, chapter one F and I'm like, we have a lying. thousand word minimum. Why hasn't that <laughs> chapter ended? <laughs> you need to move on. I mean, I'm thinking it, I don't say it, but I'm thinking it. You post however you want, whatever makes sense to you and is not going to feel like a burden. Um, you don't have to post every day. You can post every day. It's supposed to be about what gets you through the challenge. So, That's one thing I talk about, Rough Trade, not being for readers. Now, I appreciate all the readers on Rough Trade, really. Um, it's awesome. 
you know, all the, um, all the participation and the activity and, and the views and the comments, it's great. But Rough Trade's not for readers. It's for writers. So you do you. And remember that you're the one having the experience and, they, and, they're, and they're just getting to watch. And, that, and they're privileged to watch. And that privilege isn't guaranteed. So we do, um, I do. I can, we have a couple questions. That, oh, a couple questions people have asked me privately over the last week that I could we could bring up, uh, or okay. we could see if anybody else in the chat room has questions. Um, but okay, but yeah, Rug, I'm of the opinion that you should always skip the funeral. I, I find funerals very difficult to attend personally. I find them very difficult to um, to uh, to write. I find them very difficult to read. <laughs> Yeah, the only time I'm with you, the only time I like reading a funeral is if something A, comedic happens, or B, um, something, some element of intrigue is happening there. Um, like even in the funeral and courting Hermione Granger, um, I glossed over it um, because it wasn't, um, the actual content of the funeral wasn't important. It was my characters um, dealing with their grief and their loss and um, the right. change in the situation for their family that was, that was the the important part. But I actually feel the same way about reading the intricate details, the, the in and out, the pageantry of a wedding. I feel the same way about it. I mean, I'd rather read the emotional context and a couple highlights than read the literal step-by-step of any kind of thing that doesn't actually move the story forward. So. Oh, but you know what's really interesting? Somebody wrote me um, about Five years ago, I had a um, couple write me and ask me if they could use the vows that I wrote for John and Rodney in in what might have been for their wedding. Oh, wow. And I said, absolutely. (laughs) That is great. That is so cool. Yeah. I was like, that is, hell yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. I hope they have an awesome marriage. But, yeah. Um, but, uh, and again, that particular marriage, wedding ceremony was more about, um, it was actually more about John and Patrick than it was John and Rodney. It was about Patrick witnessing this and accepting this and being 100% supportive of this moment that John was having with Rodney. It it brought their relationship full circle. So, um, but otherwise, I probably would have skipped it. <laughs> I did skip the ceremony in Canada. <laughs> well, sometimes, but vow. I, I don't really consider vows to be part of the the pageantry. pageantry. Vows can often be very right. very important. But the whole, you know. About the planning and the cake the, and the, the first dance, what the, the, what the choir is doing and how things are decorated, and I just if the word okay. bunting comes up, I'm I'm out, man. <laughs> um, I'm out. I have, I have low threshold for for some of that stuff. Okay, so one of the questions <laughs> somebody asked me um, 
earlier in the week, was we're talking about, and we've talked about writing flawed, writing nuanced original characters. And they had written an OC and sent it off in a, in a story, in a, in a prominent role in the story. And they sent it off to their alpha slash beta reader. And the, the, their beta reader came back to them and said, I'm paraphrasing, but nicely said that the OC came off like a Gary Stu or Marty Stu or whatever the fuck it is, the male equivalent of a Mary Sue. And that it was, um, it, it really just felt very contrived and da, da 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 And she said, you know, she'd asked them to give some more feedback about what was wrong. And she couldn't really get an answer about what, why this was contrived because why this character came across as being like, a, like a, the male equivalent of Mary Sue. And I said, um, so I said I would look at it. And I did a quick alpha read, you know, paying attention, just looking at characterization. And that was my reaction, too. And I said, well, why don't you think, why do you disagree? And she talked about how she had written this character as being flawed and nuanced and that, you know, Mary Sue's don't have flaws. That's one of the things about a Mary Sue, right? And I said, ah, okay, what do you think your character's flaws are? And she told me what the flaws were. I said, but you do realize everybody treats those flaws as a positive thing in the story, right? It is not a flaw if everybody loves it. Oh, it's so cute when she loses her temper. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's such an asshole, isn't it charming? Um, So, yeah, (laughs) if if their negative traits are... Have zero um, negative consequences. Right. It's... they are going to come across as practically perfect in every way, which is annoying. And it does make the character feel flat. I said, somebody who is, if you want your character to have nuance and you're going to write them with flaws, a flaw has to be a flaw. It has flaw meaning something that detracts, not something that people pass them on the head over um, and find charming. So, if, I just decided, you know, we could talk about that a little bit, get Kira's perspective on that. But if when you're writing, even if you're writing your canon characters, if they're flaws, if you present them as everybody around them reacting to their flaws positively, you have, you have made it not a flaw. You have not made them realistic. You have not made them well-rounded. You, it, it's, a, it's, it's basically a fail, a, a fail in characterization when everything about a character is likable, wonderful, perfect, people admire them for being a dick. People admire their assholery. People aspire to be that bitchy. Whatever it is, it, it's not a flaw anymore. So what do you think, Kira? I think that oftentimes um, when you ride an OC, um, your gut reaction to being told that you've written a Mary Sue is fuck you. Because there's that whole stigma of all original characters being Mary Sue. So you don't want to believe that you've done it, even when you have. And um, also that, that part of fandom who doesn't actually know what a Mary Sue is, like this person you were talking to, <laughs> they had an assumption of what a Mary Sue was, and they did not believe they had written one because they did not understand what a Mary Sue was. So when someone accuses you of writing a Mary Sue, ask them to define it. 
because I was accused of riding a Mary Sue, and I was really insulted. And I was chatting in this group um, about it, and I said, you know, I've never actually had anybody tell me that I rode a Mary Sue to my face. Um, and um, I said, and even if I have, you know, no one's ever done it to my face before, and um, I'm I'm kind of offended, and I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm just um, I'm offended. <laughs> but she had no idea what a Mary Sue was, and she was using the phrase as a compliment. She thought oh. she was giving me a compliment, <laughs> and I'm like, no, baby, no, I, that that's not what you said. <laughs> and she had no idea. So first, when someone accuses you of riding a Mary Sue, ask them for a definition before you lose your shit, before you get offended, and then make sure you're not actually doing it. Um, but um, she was, you know, she did not mean to insult me. Uh, and I do find the idea of having written a Mary Sue offensive, and if I've done it, I didn't do it on purpose, unless I did do it on purpose and wrote it as crack, which is an entirely different circumstance. Um but uh, if you want to write a Mary Sue, do it. There's nothing wrong with write that. a Mary Sue. If you Dude, want to write a self-insert, and we, and, and we come back to self-inserts are not Mary Sues. They're not the same thing. But many people Mary Sue their self-insert, but they're not actually the same thing. Um, so, but the thing is, the, the bigger question, the bigger issue was she got hung up on language, and she had a, a, somebody who was good with grammar who wasn't able to articulate what was going on with this characterization, she just saw the character seemed flat and contrived. And her, her, her interpretation, what came to her mind was, well, isn't this a Mary Sue or Gary Sue? And she got her back up a little bit, but she did ask, well, what about them? And then they couldn't explain, which is why she asked me for help. And I said, well, okay, well, why don't you think this person is a Mary Sue? I'm not saying it is or isn't, but why don't you think they are? And her reason for it not being a Mary Sue, because she did understand what the definition of Mary Sue was, was that the character was flawed. So the bigger discussion she and I had to have was not about is this a Mary Sue or isn't it, is about what it means to have flaws and how to write a nuanced character who feels real. I think... um, in terms of an original character in a main role in the story, I would say that the, I think the only one I have in a main role is is um, Ethan. Um, and I think Ethan's very well-rounded. I think he's. I think I did a good job with his flaws and not writing them off as positive traits. And that's. I would say that the, you definitely wrote an original character who is um, who has a lot of nuance and he's not a Mary Sue or a Marty Sue, ever how you want to say that, because I have to admit, the first couple of scenes, I didn't like him at all. I was like, fuck you. Stop being mean to Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I like him now. <laughs> but, and that, and that was I'm the goal, like, was to get you liking you? him by the how end. How dare you come over there while you while while he's down and try to make me, just, just shut up, you already left him. <laughs> <laughs> And Ethan, Ethan is not. I gave Ethan reasons for the, why he had done the shitty things he had done, but he he didn't try to make them excuses. But often that is the thing is there is a difference between a reason and an excuse. Um, Ethan's behavior towards Tony was inexcusable, but he had reasons for why he was afraid the way he was, and 
the question of the story became, could Tony accept those reasons and let it go and learn to forgive? And it didn't make Ethan any less wrong just because he had reasons. Um, it didn't make him any less flawed because he had reasons. Um, it just makes him a person, a human being, who makes in mistakes. The yeah. and, in the conversation that I had with this lady about the Mary Seuss option, it was about Harry Potter and the soulmate bond, and she said that um, uh, basically she was just saying that the characterization of Harry was just amazing and awesome. It was totally Mary Sue. And I'm like, no, um, what? <laughs> Did you intend to contradict yourself? And and, um, the thing is, is I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because the Tony, because the Harry and Harry Potter and the Sweet Bond is kind of, I mean, he's arrogant. He um, he keeps secrets. He he manipulated Hermione uh, and and buried her memories to protect himself and to protect her. Yes, Um, apologized for it, but he still did it. He. He's he's stubborn. He's often unreasonable. He makes assumptions. He, um, I don't, you know, he's just not perfect. He's he's sometimes he's a complete asshole. <laughs> he's trying. He's trying hard. You know, he's trying to be the adult everybody expects him to be. But sometimes he's just an immature teenage boy playing a role that everybody expects him to be. Yeah. They they throw all this responsibility on Harry, and he we talked last night about um, public personalities and private personalities, and um, really when it comes down to it, if Harry had his druthers in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Vine, he, he he wouldn't have any other responsibilities but fucking his girlfriend. <laughs> that would be his sole there's responsibility, given his there's a teenage dead. boy for you. <laughs> If he had, if he could pick his responsibilities, that's the one he would pick. But he's also a young man who's been shaped and and taught and driven into a place by his father, by his father's long-term paramour, um, by his conclave, by the men of his conclave and his mentor. And they've all pushed him down this path for his own good and for his own safety and also for the good of the world. And they all know that they've pushed him. And there's even a scene where where Sirius talks about it, where he tells them how furious he is with them for what they did in the Gryffindor Circle and letting Harry be exposed to what Voldemort did in the Gryffindor Circle. And he talks about how there's a tenderness in Harry that he doesn't want to see his son lose. And that he's constantly exposed to things that would make practically anybody really callous. So, yeah, but if but if Harry could do what he wanted, he would b- mostly just do Hermione on a bed of fire. <laughs> that would be you the go, Harry. He would go to class and he would fuck because <laughs> he's sixteen, <laughs> and that so, was that. You know, and that would be that. But I think that, you know, when you're sitting down to, when you're sitting down, and this kind of, the reason the OC thing that came up with this other person this week, um, the reason why it even crossed my mind is because um, Ellie asked a question about original characters versus whatever, is whatever character you're writing, 
if you want them to resonate with your reader and you want them to um, feel real, you have to build in all that realistic stuff. And people have realistic – like if, some, if, I, I were, if I were portraying somebody with OCD in a story – it, and I was making that in some fashion a detractor to that. Pro- like it was difficult for them. Like they had this. It was a difficult thing that they struggled with. If everybody found their OCD charming, it would not work as a character flaw. Because it's not really a character flaw. But it, it's a personality quirk that makes a person feel seem more realistic. But if everybody thought it was great and, you know, encouraged them to be even more obsessive than they were, and it, it would – it would fall really flat. Frankly, having suffered from OCD most of my life, I can tell you that most of the people in my life, including my own husband, find my OCD to be very frustrating and irritating and annoying and inconvenient. <laughs> it's not cute. But we're down to that 43 exactly... seconds. Woo, still where that went. <laughs> Go ahead. Exactly oh. what? That was it. I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> Say good night, Julie. <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs>